0: So, i have playing the telephone game. Broken let's see how... Is it broken telephone? Uh, oh, a what's broken telephone? Never management, never management. So, I'm going to say something. and I, Guys, are you listening? And I'm going to say it in a way that I will intentionally try to make you get it wrong. Because <laughs> that's the whole point, right? And let's see if you get it right. So, I'll whisper and that's um, whatever you hear you tell him and then you tell him and then you tell him good you want to fall out okay that's fine all right so let's do it ready guys you have to be quiet so we can hear each other okay quiet irina you want to join us come Okay, so I'm going to start. Peace. You have to say yours loud. Peace. Peace. Okay, so that was good. No, no. So we'll do another one. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) What? 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 What?
1: What? 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 (laughs) What? Yeah.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Okay, niece. Niece. No, I didn't say niece. I said bees. What? <laughs>
1: you changed it. What did you say? Peace. Peace. She said niece.
0: Yeah, she no? said niece. I said I niece. peace. peace. I heard knees. And you say you have a niece. I heard knees. Okay. Okay, we'll do one last one. Racist. No, no. What? What is a racist? You said a racist, not a reset. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Let's 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 do one last one. Sorry? You thought that was the last one? Yeah, I know. Let's try one more. Um. Do a sentence. No. The dog has to What? Wait, say it
1: again. <laughs> hey.
0: Dark has the okay, that's good. Alright, thank you. Let's give them a hand. Alright. Now, do I have your attention? Last week, we started talking about something. Who remembers? Jesus on trial. Jesus on trial. Jesus on trial. What did you remember what do you remember um nick we talked about the gospels yep and what else the credibility. the credibility of the people who wrote the gospels right credibility of the people who wrote the gospels what do you remember princess you were here what do you remember what not much. Did we say? Did we talk about not much? <laughs> uh, who was here? Laurencia, you were here. What do you remember? No. Nothing. Come on. I'm not allowing nothing as an answer or not much as an answer. I'll come back to you guys. What? Ah uh, no. You start thinking. Um. Anel, what do you remember? Um, the, four Gospels. the four Gospels. Who wrote them? Um, Matthew, Mark. Mm-hmm. And, then John. John. and John. So who wrote Matthew? Matthew. And Mark? Um, John Mark. John Mark. Was John Mark a disciple of Jesus? No. Okay. Who was he um, a disciple of? Peter. 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 And so, and so um, most likely, he, most of the accounts that he wrote, he heard it from Peter, because Peter was a first eyewitness. And then who wrote Luke? Luke? Luke, the doctor. He was a physician. And so he wrote Luke. and And who... Who um, was Luke a disciple of? Or uh, who was his best buddy? Paul. Okay, Luke moved a lot with Paul the Apostle. Because Luke also wrote another book in the New Testament. Who knows? What? Acts. Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts. So you see in the book of Acts, there's a lot that is talked about Paul. Because Luke was moving with Paul. And then who wrote the book of John? The same John that wrote Mark? So which who John is this one? Disciple. John the disciple. And then we, ta- we talked about how we looked at the various proofs that show to us that the biography of Jesus that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is credible. Okay? It's reliable we tested it with what the lawyers use to test any textual evidence so when they have any piece of evidence that's in writing how they test it to prove this is authentic this is real this has not been forged this is genuine you can rely on it and so we went through what are the tests we went through who remembers yes nathan corroborating evidence which is the evidence that says is there something outside of this text that confirms what is in the text right so there are texts outside of the bible so i don't think i even mentioned it does this jewish historian who is not a christian but he documented and in his document he, he mentions about the life of jesus right he's not a christian but he documents accurately that there was a person named jesus who lived at such a time, who was crucified, and he died, right? And then corroborating evidence also that there's no evidence outside of the Bible that is against what is in the Bible. Because if the people that lived during that time, like right now, if I stand up and I say I am um, Donald Trump, (laughs) if I say I'm Donald Trump, would you guys all be quiet? Right? You would all speak up and say, no, you're lying. You're not Donald Trump. Right? So if in the community that everything happened, all the people were there and they saw it, and these people write it up and say, this is what happened, this is what happened, and the people are all there and they were all there when the thing happened, they will speak up and say, oh, no, that's a lie. That didn't happen. But they've searched and searched. There's no document that contradicts what has been written. Okay? And then there was the eyewitness evidence where... The people that really saw the thing are the ones that wrote it. It's not like you heard it, you heard it, you heard it, you heard it. Right? It's people that saw it. So the, the scripture we used, it says that we were eyewitnesses. This was the Apostle Peter speaking. He said, beloved, you have not believed in fables or myths when we told you about Jesus. They were not stories that were made up. We ourselves, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it with our own eyes, and that's what we told you about. Okay, yes, Irina. The bias test, which, which has to do with the fact that the people who are writing it, do they have an interest that will make them twist the story, right? In a way, anybody reporting some story is, has their own personal bias. But does that bias make them want to twist the story in any way, and we saw that, no, their their, their bias really didn't make them want to twist the story. They reported it as it was, because when we looked, there was the other evidence of the cover-up test, that they even reported things that were against them, right? They reported things that was not favorable, because if you want to really cover up things, you won't talk about how Peter betrayed, uh, Peter denied Jesus, for instance, Right. Why would I let you write that if I'm making things up? Rather, I would say when Peter, Peter told the disciples, if everybody will leave him, I will not leave him. So if I'm making the story up, I would rather let you write that, yeah, Peter didn't leave him like he said. Peter was standing by Jesus and stood with him to the cross. But no, he wrote it and wrote it exactly as it happened that Peter denied Jesus. Three times. He said, I don't know him. He swore, he swore. He said, I swear, to God, I don't know this man. Right? So, if they were making up the story, they wouldn't put that in. That's a cover up test. That's, that's how journalists used to test any document. And they say, look, if these people have written it in a way that is really making them look good, then it's some evidence that they've made it up. But if they are really, even if they look bad, they still put it in, then there's a great chance they are telling the truth. And then there was the other, um, what other evidence? Who remembers? Yes, Nathan. The The ability test. Did they have the ability to tell the truth or to communicate, to remember everything that happened? Did they have the ability? Okay. Of course, we saw that they did because in those days, it wasn't like now that we... We can't even remember phone numbers. You have to pull your phone to check my phone number. But in those days, they didn't have devices that were remembering everything for them. They had to use their brains. So they would memorize the whole Bible in their head, right? They memorized whole books. So their mind was capable of remembering everything that happened during the time of Jesus, even though they weren't writing it at the time, right? Right? over a period of 30 to 60 years after Jesus died, they were able to write everything that happened because everything was in their mind. What else? What other evidence? All right. So today, last week, I think it was um, Michaela that asked the question, how do we know... That Okay, so that we agree that the text that we have is valid. They wrote it exactly as they saw it. They, they described everything. We've tested it. It's valid. It's genuine. It's authentic. How do we know that what they wrote is what we have today? Is that a good question? Right? So that's what we want to look into. Today, we'll look into that, and then we'll also look into um, Jesus... We also look into who Jesus is. Let's read this scripture. Um, Chris, read for me. Every scripture passage
1: in inspired by God. All of them are useful for teaching, pointing to ears, correct correcting people and training
0: them for life that has God's approval.: Let's all read it together again. Let's all read it together. Every scripture passage is inspired by God. All of them are useful for teaching Pointing out errors Correcting people And training them for a life that has God's approval Amen Every scripture passage is inspired by God He's telling us every text Every scripture in the Bible Was inspired by God And that all of them are useful for teaching Let's read this other scripture Let's all go For these words did not ever come through the impulse of men, but the prophets had them from God, being moved by the Holy Spirit. These words in the Bible, they didn't come from men, right? But prophets had them from God. They received the words from God, and the Holy Spirit was the one that moved upon them to write what they wrote. Talking to us about the Bible that we have, Okay? Yes, Irina. Uh, Who put the Bible together? Who put the Bible together? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the time we have in your presence. We pray as we look into your word, you'll open our understanding and grant us attentive hearts to hear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So. Uh, sorry. This is our outline. We'll go through it very quickly. We'll look at... The, last week we looked at the original manuscripts, but today we're going to look at how they were copied and what are the variants we have in them, and then we'll look at Jesus. Okay, so the game of telephone that we just did, one of the, one of the things that people say is that it seems the way we got our Bible is like the game of telephone. How do we know that the final message which we have today has not been distorted? Right? So like, what was one of the misses that we had? I said um, recess. And then he ended up saying what? Racist. Racist. Right? So, isn't the way we have the Bible, because the way the Bible came to us today... The original ones, which John, Mark... So we're looking at the Gospels, right? It applies to the rest in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote the originals, right? We don't have the originals that they wrote. Nobody has the original. What we have are copies of the original. So you know how you make a photocopy, right? So you take the original, and then you write, you copy it. So in the first century, when those originals were written... The people called scribes, scribes, so they they scribble, right? They will take the original and they copy it exactly. And so the point somebody is making is, uh, it's much like the game of telephone. So I am the original. I say recess. And then this one hears something and also say something. Say something. So by the time it gets to us today, what we have is not exactly what the original was, like recess and racist. Is that true? Do we think that that's how the Bible would have, or that's the challenge the Bible would have gone through? I don't think so. And why don't I think so? Because first of all, it assumes that we only have one means of transmission, like when we all stood in one line, right? So what I said, the one next to me was the only person who could judge what they heard me say. He was the only person. But the textual transmission of the New Testament wasn't like that. What John wrote, it wasn't just one person who had access to what John wrote. It was a whole community of people. So if I copy what I think John wrote, the whole community gets to check if indeed I copied it right. Do you get it? So think of it more like let's say five lines of people all passing the same message from one source. So if we have five people and I were to say to each of them the same thing, now they can all meet together and think and say, what did you hear him say? Right? And then there's greater chance that they will all transmit what I said. Do you get it? And when they pass it on to the next one, the next ones also get to talk to the ones before them. All of them get to interact and talk amongst themselves. That this is what he said, not this. He didn't say re- racist. He said recess. And then the other one would say, yes, I didn't hear racist. I heard recess. I didn't hear, re- I heard recess. Then they put it together and said, well, I think it's recess. And they passed on. So it's not like the game of telephone. That's, the, that's one first difference. The other thing is that... If each person were to write down what they had, so I said recess, but I only did not say it, but I wrote it down, and I wrote recess, and I passed the sheet on, do you think that it will end up with someone saying racist? No. So it's not like the game of telephone, because when it's written down, it's different from when it's said. So when John wrote the original text, or Mark wrote the original text, or Luke wrote the original text, it was written down. There's it was, it was not something like somebody's just saying it, and then by the time it gets there, it's, t- it's thwarted. And also bear in mind, the game of telephone is intentionally meant to confuse. So when I say recess, I don't like shout out recess. I kind of recess. Because that's what makes it fun. I want them to get it wrong. But that's not how, in transmitting the Bible, They wanted it, they didn't want us to get it wrong. They wanted us to get it right. And then also, we have to realize that we have so many copies of the original text, not just one. So the original was written one by Mark. Many people copied it, and there are so many copies of that available so that if I am the scribe number one, you are scribe number two, scribe number three, up to scribe number 1,000, for instance, and we all copied the book of Mark. And scribe number one and seven and 700 made some mistakes in their copying, right? Now we have in a room people who are going to examine the 1,000 copies. Don't you think that when they look at each of those 1,000 copies and they compare each copy to each other, they can have a high chance of knowing, even though one seven and 700 have made some errors, they can tell that these are the errors these people made and these ones are not in the original. Do you get it? You follow me, right? They'll be able to tell. And that's exactly what is the case with the New Testament. There are so many copies, manuscripts, right? I'm not talking about Bibles. I'm talking about the handwritten copies way before publishing even came, handwritten copies, people that copied the text of the Bible, there are thousands and thousands of them that there are people we call textual critics. They take the text and they critique it. They've been able to tell that what we have is very, very um, authentic. It is the original that there has not been any variations. For instance, you look, if, you've, if you've heard of Levi's um, History of Rome, so these are historical books, there are only 35 copies of the original. They don't have the original, but they have copies of the original. The are only 35 available in the whole world. And yet, scholars still believe it's valid with all its errors. Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, have you heard of that? Did I say it well? Yes. Yeah? So there are only 2,400 copies of that, handwritten copies of that, available. And there are variants in those copies. Because copies make mistakes as they copy. And we'll talk about them. But it's still regarded as a valid historical document. Is it too hot in here? A little. A little? Oh, yeah, take off your jackets. But look at how many copies of the New Testament that there are. 25,000 to 30,000. And in fact, that could stack up to miles. How many miles? More than a mile high. You can stack it up. The copies of the New Testament... So many of them, if you stack them up, it will be more than a mile high. Now, imagine having these so many copies. Now, scholars can sit down with these many copies and compare. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. How is it in this copy? How is it in this copy? How is it in this copy? How is this in up to 30,000 copies? And they check all of these to see, did these copies make a mistake? when he was copying the original, because if he did, we would be able to compare with the others and tell what mistake he made. And that's how come they've been able to check all these copies, and the conclusion is that the text of the scripture that we have now is authentic. There have not been any changes made that change the message of the Bible. There are some mistakes, but they don't change the message of the Bible. And I'll show you some of the mistakes some of the examples, okay? Let's move on. Let's watch this um, video.
1: Um, how do you account for the errors of the scribes um, when the was handed down person to person? Yeah, excellent question. There are errors that we know about. Why? because we can compare the documents, we can compare the manuscripts and see where the errors are. In fact, let me see if I can show you a representation of that, because it's better seen uh, than it is described. Here it is. Let's say you have, here's the original, which we don't have. We don't, at least we, we, we don't think we have any original documents, okay? So they're all copies, okay? Uh, and let's say you find four different copies. And in the first copy, you see an error right here. And then uh, another copy, there's another error right there. In the third copy, there's another error right there. And in the fourth copy, there's an error right there. Can you reconstruct the original? Yes. Yes. And that's what scholars do. The original, this happens to be Romans 3.26, God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, the note here is the New Testament documents have far fewer variations than this example. So yes, sometimes scribe made mistakes but in virtually all cases we know what the mistake was and we can correct it by comparing it with other documents now you might say why wouldn't God just if this is true why wouldn't he just maintain the original I'm speculating here but I think one reason well two reasons number one if we had the original we might venerate it we tend to venerate things like that right but number two if I had the original what could I do to it I could alter it right But if you had a copy, 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 copy, and I had a copy, and I changed my copy, is everyone going to know who changed their copy? Yeah, because when you get all your copies together and compare it to mine, you go, Tarek, you heretic, why'd you do that? Right? So by not preserving the original, you actually are able to preserve the original better. So what if the error is not that simple? Like, uh, what if it's a, it's a, a difference in concept? Um, So if we have these copies, and say copy 1 gets 12 copies, copy 2 gets 24 copies, and then you've got copy 4 that gets 400 copies, Mm -hmm. but copy 4 is the incorrect copy, then how do we justify truth in that, as well as how do we justify the truth in Jesus' exact words when we didn't hear them ourselves? Okay, there is no significant doctrine, theological doctrine, That is affected by any variant, and who admits this? Bart Ehrman himself. Okay, so Bart Ehrman, the great skeptic, admits that the New Testament documents are reliable. In fact, let me let me show you a quote from him because this quote is very uh, right on the money. You know, he wrote the book Misquoting Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of this book, but in 2005, he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus, a popular book. Uh, in which he tries to insinuate that we can't trust what the New Testament documents have said. Yet, the very same year, 2005, he wrote an academic work. He updated an academic work with his mentor, Dr. Bruce Metzger from Princeton University. In fact, Metzger was the top manuscript scholar of the last century. And in that book, he agrees with Metzger that the New Testament documents are copied accurately. Now, why is he coming to two different conclusions the same year, same evidence? The only thing I can speculate is when you say to the academic community something wrong, they'll correct you on it. But when you say something wrong to the lay community, they don't know any better in most cases, you can sell a lot of books when you say the New Testament documents aren't copied reliably. That gets you a review in the New York Times, that gets you on the Colbert Show, the John Stewart Show. You sell a lot of books. Right, what's that? A textbook to be studied. We're studying Erwin now. You're studying misquoting Jesus? Um, no, his textbook, um, the New Testament. Okay, well, that one that he co-wrote with Metzger is actually good, but this one, this one. Now, here's what he says: This is in the appendix of the paperback version, so this comes out a year or two later from the original Misquoting Jesus. He's interviewed. And in the interview, here's what he says. Check this out. This is a quote from the book, page 252. He says Bruce Metzger is one of the great scholars of modern times, and I dedicated the book to him because he was both my inspiration for going into textual criticism and the person who trained me in the field. I have nothing but respect and admiration for him. And even though we may disagree on important religious questions, he is a firmly committed Christian and I am not. We are in complete agreement on, the number of, on a number of very important historical and textual questions. What are they in agreement on? If he and I were put into a room and asked to hammer out a consensus statement on what we think the original text of the New Testament probably looked like, there would be very few points of disagreement, maybe one or two dozen places out of many thousands. The position I argue for in misquoting Jesus does not actually stand at odds with Professor Metzger's position that the essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variance in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. Well, why would you write misquoting Jesus, then? Not you, but Bart Ehrman. (laughs) Right? Why is that? I mean, the book maybe should be called Misquoting Ehrman. Because he doesn't even agree with himself. So it seems that even Ehrman, when, when push comes to shove, admits that we do have an accurate copy of the New Testament documents. Now your second question is, how do we know verbatim what Jesus said? We might not know verbatim what he said. Because there are no quote marks in Greek, so we're not always sure exactly if it's a quote or if it is a paraphrase because Jesus probably spoke in Aramaic yet the documents are written in Greek but that's okay you can communicate truth in in different languages and you don't have to be exact with what he said you can get the gist of it in fact Jesus said he was an itinerant preacher he probably gave the same talks in several different places right I mean if you followed me around I go around to different campuses I give the same presentations over and over again but I might say things slightly differently in one place in another place so maybe one guy heard it one way another guy heard it another way we have the gist of what Jesus said and that's really all God wanted to tell us also uh, you might imagine that at those times people had highly developed memories they could memorize complete books we can't even remember our phone number because <laughs> we have all these devices that remember it all for us so these people were in oral culture and they memorized things quite well <laughs>
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Grace. Okay. So, does that help us? When we have many copies, we can get back to the original by comparing the copies. Okay? So, you can be sure that what we have today is accurate. Now, let's look at what are the variations then in the documents we have. About 80%, which is like 320,000, are just variations in spelling. So something as simple as maybe John, I spell my John as J-O-H-N-N. The critics consider that a variation, but does that change the meaning? No, right? It is a variation, but it's counted. So most of the variations that we see in the copies are just spelling errors about 19 or 20 about 20, 19 to 20% are just different synonyms or sentence structure and I I'll, and I'll show you some examples and it's only about 1% which is just like 4000 out of 400000 affect the meaning of what the text is saying and I'll give you some examples of some of the very notorious ones okay for you to have an idea so let's look at this example If you have a thousand manuscripts that have, for instance, Lord, in John 4, 1, and all the rest of the manuscripts have Jesus, then that still counts as only one variant. Right? So somewhere it would say, and the Lord said. So someone, another copier who is copying, in order to make it clear to the people, he, he replaces Lord with Jesus. Lord is Jesus, right? The Lord Jesus. But just to make it clear, it would say Jesus. Another place where there's a pronoun he, pronoun he, he knows it's Jesus, and it would replace the he with Jesus. It's still counted as a variant. So that's not really changing the meaning. Another example, uh, spelling variations. So even when the misspelling in Greek makes no absolute difference in the meaning of the word, because it was written in Greek, so, misspelling it in Greek doesn't really change the meaning of the word. For instance, you know there are some words in English, if you misspell it, you've actually changed the meaning because the different spelling is a different word. But many cases of the misspelling in Greek doesn't change the meaning of the word. So, for instance, um, if I am to spell... Um, uh, corn. Corn artist, and then cone. See, omitting an e changes the meaning, right? But there are words that if you omit a, a, a letter, it doesn't really change the meaning. You can clearly tell that this is the word they wanted to write. The Greek letter nu or n is used at the end of a word when the next word starts with a vowel. It's like in English where you have an indefinite article, like an apple or a book. It means the same thing. So whether new appears or not, it has, no absol- it has no effect on the meanings, yet that is counted as a text variant. So if we say, the little boy brought five loaves of bread and two fishes, and if someone wrote, who was copying, wrote, the boy brought the five loaves of bread and the two fishes, that is still counted as a text variant. But does that change the meaning? No. right? So majority of these text variants in the copies of the New Testament that we have, Hadassah. High five. <laughs> majority of the variants that, uh, text variants we have are they don't change their meaning in any way. Any question? OK. Another example is that every time you see the name John, I already told you how this is spelled with one or two N's, and they have to record this as a textual variant, but it doesn't change the meaning. And then there are those nonsense errors. Okay, nonsense errors where the scribe was just not paying attention and they made a mistake. That's it's a no-brainer to spot. For example, one scribe wrote "end" when he meant to write "lord." <laughs> The words look somewhat similar in Greek. I mean, in English, it's like, how do you make that mistake? But in Greek, it's kiversos and curious. But it was obvious that the word and doesn't fit the context. So in this case, it's easy to reconstruct the right word. And that's what textual critics do. They study all these thousands and thousands of copies of the New Testament and they compare it to each other. Just to be sure that we have a version that is closest to your original a lot of variants involve the Greek practice so in Greek for example it might refer to Mary the Mary or the Joseph because that's how the Greek is said but in English it doesn't make sense to say the nana for instance if I'm calling you and I say the nana it's like doesn't make sense so it drop there from the Greek but they still count it as a textual variant And then you've got variants that can't even be translated into English. So, Greek is an inflected language. And that means that the order of words is not important. Like, you could rearrange the words, but it still means the same thing in Greek. Right? So, for instance, in Greek, there are 16 different ways to say Jesus loves Paul. Like, 16 different ways to rearrange the words, and it will still say the same thing that Jesus loves Paul. But in English... You can't say that. It's Jesus loves Paul. How else can you say that? Right? Jesus loves Paul. And that is still counted as a difference when they see a rearranging of the, on the order of words. Now, only about 1%, like I said, affect the meaning. So we call those viable variants. Okay, viable means they have a great chance of changing the original message in the new testament. Now that's what we're interested in, right? What are those? What are some of those notorious 1%? Let's look at some of them. One involves Romans 5:1. Romans 5:1. Can you turn to Romans 5:1? Let's see what's there. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Hey guys, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Adasa. Eko 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 Mm. Yes, uh, Emmanuel, read for me. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done down for us. Right. So it says, we have peace with God. Right. Since we have been made right by faith, we have peace with God. Some of the copies have let us have peace. Others have, we have peace. Right. Of course, that changes the meaning, right? Let us have peace and we have peace. It's saying two different things, right? But is it something that's really significant as to affect my faith? No. These are some of the most notorious ones, really, of text variants that affect the meaning. Another example is in 1 John 1, verse 4. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And some other copies say, we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete right our joy your joy does it change the meaning yes but is it in a way that affects what i believe no the whole point is that it brings joy whether your joy my joy there is joy it doesn't affect what i believe it doesn't affect that jesus rose from the dead or all those things that affect my faith another one here mark 9:29 Jesus says you can't cast out a certain kind of demon except by prayer. And some manuscripts have and fasting. Right? And fasting. So, some say Jesus said you can't cast out demons by prayer. Others say you can't cast out demons by prayer and fasting. Well, however it is, there's prayer involved. Whether with fasting or without fasting, it doesn't affect my faith. Are you following? <laughs> So most of these 1% stuff that affect the meaning are not meaningful enough to affect my faith. Now, what I want you to realize is the question that I ask myself is why are there so few serious errors in these thousands and thousands of manuscripts? You would wonder, I mean, if thousands of people are copying this original document, I mean, logically, you should expect them to make more mistakes, more serious mistakes than what we're encountering. But why are they not? Remember, the Jewish scribes To be a scribe was a profession. Like all you do your whole life is to copy the Bible. Right? And they had strict rules for how you would copy it because they considered it as the word of God. Okay? What are some of the rules that the Jewish scribes had? They could only use clean animal skins both to write on and even to bind the manuscript. So even the, the thing that you write on is defined. You can't just pick anything from anywhere and write on it. So, that's one easy way to detect if a copy is not authentic. They just have to look at the skin it was written on and they just throw it away. This is not authentic. If it's authentic, it got to be on this material. Okay? Another thing is that each column of writing could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. So, they define the lines. It has to be within this range. If it's more than that, they throw it out. Because they want it to be in a way that it's easy to check and cross-check so that you can just quickly scan and check it if everything has been copied accurately. Okay, and then the ink must be black and of a special recipe. So you can't just, not anybody can copy the Bible. You have to have the special ink to copy it. And that's one way they detected texts that were not original, that were not authentic. They just inspect the ink and they can tell that this ink is not from an approved scribe. Another thing, they must verbalize each word aloud while they were writing. Now remember, the scribes, they already knew the Bible in their mind. They could recite the whole scripture to you. They had memorized the whole thing. But then, they were required not to write it from memory. They were required to always look at the text and write it. And in looking at it, they were also required to say it out loud. So if I'm writing that Peter denied Jesus. I know that Peter denied Jesus, and I'm seeing Peter denied, but as I'm writing Peter, Peter, Peter. So, you're sort of conditioning your whole person to not make a mistake as you are writing. It was a lifetime practice, which was why we see so few errors in the thousands of copies, because people put their whole life into the thing. And then, when they were writing the name of Jehovah, or God, it was holy, right? So, they would have to Clean the pen, and wash themselves before they write the name of Jehovah. They they saw it as holy. It's just to give you an idea how the people saw this whole thing as a holy practice. Okay? And then, they also had to review it. In 30 days, somebody had to check the whole thing, that this thing was being done well. Now, after some time, they will count what you've written. If the word count is supposed to be 50, for instance, and we count what this copier has copied, and his word count is 51, they have to go and check the whole document again. And if they check, and if more than three pages have errors, the whole thing is garbage. You have to start from scratch again. Yes, Irina. How
1: would people know if they went to go wash their bodies or
0: not? (laughs) I'm wondering why you're asking that question. You just want to know? I don't know, but that was the rule. Any question? The idea here is Chris. Wait, did you, probably
1: you already said it, but
0: did somebody write this?
1: Did somebody write, this? Did
0: somebody write which one? Oh yeah, they had to before these ones are printed, the ones we have are printed. But before printing came, they were writing by hand on animal skins and then later on papyrus. Right? So, and they had to write by hand. It's, a, it's a, a sheet that they write on. All right, let's move on. And so the documents could only be stored in designated places. And they were never to be destroyed because it was God's word. Right? Which is why some, in, in the, the Bible, the copies of the Bible, there are so thousands and thousands of them available compared to other historical documents, because they never destroyed them. What is the point? Uh, the point is, they took their care to write down and copy the Bible. They didn't take it as a joke. They copied it, so that what has been passed down to you, what you see on your phone, what you see in the book, is an exact copy of the original whatever variations in the text that we have don't change the meaning in any way okay now we're going to move to the second part of our discussion today jesus before we do can i ask that we all be on our feet and stretch i see that we're all tired let's all be on our feet let's all be on our feet Everybody, everybody, everybody. I want everybody. No, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet, please. Be on your feet. Don't sit down yet. Be on your feet. Hey, guys, be on your feet. Be on your feet, Nana. Nana is wide awake, but still, you be on your feet. Maxine, be on your feet. Okay. Now, let's sit down. Okay, so we are talking about Jesus. Remember, yeah. our discussion is Jesus on trial. Mm-hmm. And Maxine, what did I say? I,
1: don't
0: know. I said stop talking. Okay. Did I no. say that? No. Okay. Our, what is our topic? Jesus on trial. And so we are looking at all this whole thing about the New Testament text and everything because... All the information we have about Jesus is from the New Testament. If we can't trust the New Testament, then there's really nothing to talk about. So we have to convince ourselves that what we have in the New Testament is valid. It's reliable. It has been passed down with great care to us. Okay? Irina, you had your hand up. No, never mind. Okay. All right. So now we're back to Jesus on trial. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? What does the New Testament say about Jesus? Okay? The first question we want to look at is Did Jesus have the features that are characteristic of God? If you look at Hadassah There are certain features that Hadassah has That makes her Hadassah, correct? You won't look at Hadassah and look at Belinda And call Belinda Hadassah Will you? People People do that all the time no, they need to go for eye, eye test then. Right? You won't look at Anel and look at Judah and call Judah Anel. Will you? No, my mom Your mom does that a... <laughs> Right? You won't do that. Nobody looks at um, Josh and then looks at Chelsea. Where is Chelsea? Oh. Nobody looks at Josh and looks at Chelsea and then calls Chelsea Josh. No. It doesn't happen that way because everybody has features that makes them who they are. Right? Even Marvin and Myra, they are twins but you can't confuse them. Right? They're twins, right? You can't confuse them because they are features that make them unique. In the same way are you with me? Ernest, are you with me? In the same way, God has features that make him God. Do you know that? Did you know that? What are some of the features that make God God? Yes, Ransford. His divine nature. His divine nature. His divine nature. Well, That's a big word. What's a divine nature? Break it down for us. Basically, how he's holy and how. He's holy. He's holy, right? He's holy, exactly. Yes, um, Emmanuel? He's perfect. So holy, without sin. What else? What are some of the features that make God God? Laurencia? Now you can't tell me no. His what? Is this word that
1: can be saying?
0: Which word you can Omnipotent, omnipotent, exactly, omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? All-powerful, all-powerful. Yes, Nathan? He has healing abilities abilities because he's all-powerful. Right? What other feature of God? Omni, Omni omni-something else. Omnipresent, Omnipresent. he's everywhere. He's everywhere. (laughs) They're disturbing you, eh? everywhere yes yeah Joshua he's timeless timeless. so he's eternal he's timeless How about you was going to say that okay so he's omnipresent he's omnipotent he's also omniscient let's look at those features so the point is if God exists he has certain characteristics called attributes and one way in finding out if Jesus is God is to see does he have the features that only God should have okay Let's test it out. We talked about omniscience. In John 16, verse 30, John wrote down, now we can see that you know all things. Jesus knew all things. It's written down that he knew all things. Omnipresence being everywhere, Jesus said in Matthew 28:20, 20, he said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When he was about to ascend, he said, I'm with you always. How can you be with all the disciples all the time? I can't say, can I say to you guys, I am with you always when you go to school? Can I say that? I can't say that. I'll be crazy if I say that because I'm not going to be with you. But Jesus could say that. It means that uh, he has that feature of God of being everywhere at the same time. The other one is all-powerful. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power, all authority has been given to him. So he's all-powerful. Okay, So he he definitely seems to fit the nature of God. Other ones, eternality. You talked about him being timeless. John 1.1, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word was Jesus, because in John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Are you with me, guys? Yeah. Yeah. The word became what? Flesh. flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. How do I know all these scriptures? Because I learned them. You also learn them, you will know them. Okay? Don't just learn your science books. Learn the Bible too. And put it in your head. Okay? The Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus was the Word of God. And He says, in the beginning was that Word, and that Word was with God, and that Word was God. So Jesus existed right from the beginning. So He's God. He's timeless. Immutability, God. One of His features is that He's the same. He doesn't change. God is the same. And in Hebrews 13, it says of Jesus, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus is showing attributes that are characteristic of God. Okay, fine. How about we ask the question, yeah, we do see that he does present himself or look like God. But did he actually claim to be God? Did Jesus claim to be God? Did he claim to be God? In one meeting, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Right? And then said, some say you are John the Baptist, some say you are Jeremiah, some say you are this. And then he asked Peter, but who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, oh, Peter, you got it all wrong. (laughs) I'm just a nice young man. I'm not the son of God. No. What was his response? God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, lets you in on this secret of who I really am. So you see that Jesus himself, not only that he had the features of God, but he did claim to be God. Belinda? Are you with me? Don't do your head like this. That's a recipe for failure. Make your head straight. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Exactly. He also said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Did Jesus claim to be God? Some of the Jewish leaders had gathered around Jesus and they asked him, How long will you keep us in suspense? You know, because people wanted to know who are you? This Jesus, who is this person? Right? Who is this guy? And they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Just tell us if you are the Christ. What did Jesus say? Jesus responded, I did tell you, but you did not believe. I and the Father are one. Now, amazing. It's almost like he's not really saying it straightforward. Hey, what do you mean by I and my Father are one? Do you think that means that he's saying he's God? Right? The people that he was talking to understood what this meant. Because the moment he said this, they, be, they picked up stones to stone him. They picked up stones to stone him. When he, he said, I and the Father are one, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because they said, it's blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, you are claiming to be God. When he said, I and the Father are one, he was actually saying, I am I'm God. So Jesus claimed to be God. I want you to think about it, okay? Think really about it. Don't just take it like something from the Bible that we're just throwing at you. No. The man, it's a historical fact that he he existed. And it's proven by even sources outside of the Bible. And from the text that we have, I've shown you that this is not text that is made up. We've, we've tested it by all the evidence that it's a valid document. And in that document, this man, Jesus, is saying, I am God. Right? Now, don't you think that it would have been easier if Jesus had come right out and said to the people, hey, I am God. Like as when he appeared, when he came, when as soon as he was baptized by John, he just goes onto the streets. I am God. I'm the one who created the whole universe. What do you think? It would have been easier. Nobody would have any doubt, right? Why do you think he didn't do that? What? What? He was waiting for the perfect time. Yeah, in a way. What do you think would have happened if he? Just outrightly said, "I am God." Vanessa, um, no, he wanted them to believe in him. Uh huh. Yes, Joshua. If he said it without doing anything, first, people would. have they, they don't believe in him. They don't believe in him. Like this crazy guy saying, "I'm God." But not only that, in the Jewish law, it was a crime. To even equate yourself with God, I mean, even to write God's name, they they talked of themselves as unworthy to even write God's name, so they had to even shower before they wrote God's name. So when the Jew is talking, you are talking to the Jew to even say Yahweh, they will they will never say Yahweh. Do you know how they spell Yahweh? They spell it Y, H, W, H. They remove the vowels from it. Because they don't want to spell it exactly as it is, they see themselves as unworthy to even spell God's name. Do you get it? That's how they, that's how they, they see God. God is big. God is holy. Like you can't touch God. So for someone to even try to compare themselves to God, you're gone. They'll kill you. It's blasphemy. They'll, they'll just clear you. That was why when Jesus said, I and my father are one, they picked up stones to stone him. how do you compare yourself to God? So it would have been disastrous if Jesus just came on the scene and said, I am God. They would just kill him right, right there. But he had to finish his work. He had to talk to the people. He had to teach them. He had to do all those things before the right time came, right? And we will see along the line that Jesus actually got killed because he claimed to be God. So, Did Jesus claim to be God? One of his own disciples, a guy named Thomas. You see, these are one of the reasons why we believe the New Testament text. Because they even talked about things that were contrary to them. Like a guy named Thomas. He doubted when they told him that Jesus has resurrected. He said, I don't believe those things. Unless I see him and see the hole in his hand and I put my hand there and I see it. Me, Thomas, I won't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? And so, Jesus appears to Thomas and gives him his hand and says, Thomas, here, this is my hand. Touch it. And Thomas touches it and Thomas proclaims, my Lord and my God. How would you, will you, you look at me and, and tell me my Lord and my God? <laughs> because I don't look like God, right? But for somebody who was a skeptic, who doubted, who didn't believe, to now proclaim my Lord and my God, it's confirmation that the guy was God. Now, if he wasn't God, if Jesus didn't claim to be God, if, if you tell me, if you call me my Lord and my God, you know what I will say? Why are you calling me God? I'm not God, right? So when somebody says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, and if he is not God, what do you think his response should be? Don't call me God. I am not God. Right. But what did Jesus respond? He says, You believe because you see me. Those who believe without seeing me will be truly happy. So he doesn't say, Don't call me God. He actually says, you are, Now you believe that I am God. Now you believe because you have seen me. But those who have not seen me but believe, which is us, we are truly blessed. Have you seen Jesus? i said, did you see Jesus this morning? <laughs> but you believe. And he says, you are truly blessed. Amen? So, the question is, was Jesus lying when he claimed to be God? Was Jesus lying when he claimed to be God? See, the fact that he claimed to be God does not mean he is God, right? Sometimes people tell lies. If there is something in it for them. There's something in it for them. They'll be telling lies. For instance, if I tell you guys that I am the lead team player on the Raptors team, right, you, all of you guys came from Ghana yesterday. You know nothing about Raptors. And you came to meet me, and I'm telling all of you bluffing. Right, hey, know you don't believe me. You don't think I can play basketball? <laughs> and I'm laughing to all of you that I am the key player on the Raptors team. Right? What do you have to say about that? You don't have anything to say about that. All you would say is, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then I would feel good because all of you will see me as some kind of celebrity and like you'd be whatever. No? Uh, <laughs> anyway, but then it's easy to catch me because the next Raptors game, when you watch it and I'm not in, right, it's easy for you to figure out that this guy has been lying to us. So when Jesus claims to be God, it doesn't necessarily mean that he is God. So we want to, we want to sort of take this, the, we want to stand outside of the scripture and begin to question him. That if you say you are God, what's what's in it for you, right? The question is, will somebody tell a lie and die for the lie? Will you die for a lie? If you tell me you play in the Raptors team and then I think you're lying and so I pull a gun to your head and I say, hey, tell me the truth. Are you in the Raptors or not? What will, you, what will you say? Will you still insist that you are in the raptors? Bebe no, no, no. 30. Yeah. Will you still insist? No. You would, what will you say? No, 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 no. I was lying. I was lying. <laughs> right? Now, picture, picture this with me. Jesus has been arrested. He's standing in front of Pilate. He's about to be killed. You know, those times, they don't joke. They'll just kill you. They don't joke. John the Baptist, they cut off his head. Right? So, um, Belinda, your head, I don't want you to, anyway, I won't say that. So, what was I saying? Belinda, what was I saying? They don't joke around. They'll kill you. Straight up. Like, you're arrested. You're being tried for death. Emmanuel? Can you wake up, Emmanuel? (laughs) If you are being tried for death, you are going down. They will kill you. You understand? So he's standing there by the trial, and they are asking him, tell us, are you the Christ or not? Because to say that you are the Christ means you are God. And we'll talk about that next week. Are you the Christ or not? And the gun is to your head. What do you think? You just have to say, no, 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 I'm not the Christ. I was just kidding. And they let you go. Or you still insist that you are the Christ and they kill you. What do you think Jesus did? He still insisted. What, did, what was his answer? He said, the question was, are you the Christ, the son, shh, the son of the blessed one? Jesus was, uh, wasn't ambiguous. The first two words out of his mouth were, I am. And we're going to kill him why would you die for a lie so I mean I am a reasonable person it makes sense for me to believe that he wasn't lying he actually believed that he was God and if he actually would die for it then there is some credit credit credibility behind what he's saying that when he claimed that I am God okay so let's move on some say well i get all that you're saying but i don't think jesus is god i think he's just a nice person who was just a great moral teacher you know that's what some people say jesus was just a good moral teacher he wasn't like god or the son of god or any such thing that the christians have made him out to be are you with me melissa irena are you with me Princess, you are with me. You are not on the phone. Hey! (laughs) Courtney, are you with me? All of you, please put your phones down. We are not reading any scripture. Put your phones down. Put your phones down. Okay. Courtney, I'm waiting for you. So, Jesus, was he a mere moral teacher? Now, let's look at that critically, okay? Emmanuel, is Jesus was Jesus merely a moral teacher, a great moral teacher? Yes? yes? So, let's say he was a great moral teacher. If, if somebody is a moral teacher, if I'm a great moral teacher, and Anel, I am teaching you all good things, and part of the stuff that I'm teaching you I'm lying to you. Will I be a great moral teacher? No. No. Right? So to just say that Jesus, oh, he's just a great moral teacher, he's not God. Well, the guy claimed to be God. So it's either he's a liar or he's a great moral teacher. If he's a great moral teacher, then he wasn't lying when he said he was God. Are you with me? Or if he's not a great moral teacher, then he's a liar. It's an all or nothing with Jesus. It can be that he's just a great moral teacher and he's not God. If we admit that he's a great moral teacher, then we must admit that he wasn't lying when he claimed to be God. True? Okay. Who Jesus thought he was. Jesus claimed to be God. We've seen that. That claim got him killed. Right? That claim got him killed. The question is, will Jesus be willing to die for a lie? Or was he willing to die because he believed he was telling the truth? He believed he was telling the truth. Now, my thought is, no one in his right mind dies for a lie. Right? No one in his right mind dies for a lie. Which begs another question, was Jesus in his right mind? You think he was in his right mind? He was telling the truth, but was he in his right mind? Did he really? You know, there are some people who can be delusional, think that they are God, claim to be God, think that they are God, and you put a gun to their head, and they still insist they are God, and they still die for the thing that they believe they are. So, was Jesus in his right mind? Let's look at that. Dr. Gary Collins is a leading psychologist who describes some of the symptoms that psychologists look for to determine if somebody is going bananas, right? One of the things they look for is appropriate emotions. If the person is depressed for no known cause or irrational anger, like emotional expression that is out of proportion, right? That's one sign that uh, Something is not going well up there, right? Now, let's look at that in Jesus' life. He wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Is that uh, an appropriate emotion or not? If your very close friend dies and you weep, are you getting crazy? No. No. That is an appropriate emotion, right? (laughs) He got angry with merchants taking advantage of the poor. When people are taking advantage of others, and that annoys you. Is that an appropriate emotion?
1: Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yes? You know
1: how you said that if someone dies, like,
0: can't they not sometimes go crazy if like, someone actually dies sometimes? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, some people can go crazy. So you can see if they've gone crazy by how they behave after the incident, right? Right? And you can examine it based on some of these things that they've lost their mind. But in this context, here we are looking at Jesus and how he behaved, how he expressed emotion. So we've seen him cry, we've seen him angry, and in all of those situations, they were a perfect example of normal behavior. If I slap you and you are angry, does that mean you are crazy? No, because I slapped you, right? It's a perfectly normal emotional response. So I don't see any evidence that Jesus is crazy here. Are you following? Lorna? Okay. Let's look at this other one. Misperceptions or paranoia. Fearful of imagined threats. That's one sign that psychologists look for. Okay? Now, Jesus, they were eating at the table, and he said to the disciples, one of you will betray me. So, that could be someone who is paranoid, right? Like, what do you mean someone? Who's going to betray you? Nobody's going to betray you. But did one of them betray him? Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't being paranoid. He was telling the truth. That seems to me like a normal person. And then he remained calm and non-defensive at his trial. Like that, for me, was somebody who was well put together, He was being tried for something he's not done, and he's very calm, not misbehaving. That seems to me like a normal person. Thinking disorders. One of the signs of people who are going insane is that they can't carry on a logical conversation. They are irrational. They don't make sense. Like they talk gibberish. They don't make sense. Right? Jesus. What do we see about Jesus? According to Matthew seven twenty-eight to 29, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. I mean, the guy taught them He taught taught the people, and the people were amazed. They said, like, what did they say? The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. In another place, they they said, this man, how did he even know letters? How did he even know how to speak and to express himself? He He made sense to them. One time, Jesus preached, and as he was preaching... One woman was so excited, she jumped and exclaimed, Blessed are the breasts that gave you milk to, to, to suck. Wow. Yeah. Because the, Jesus, Jesus taught them, he taught with so much passion, the people, they, they, they took the words into them. The woman was so excited, she jumped up and said, Blessed are the breasts that gave you milk to suck. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So Jesus was a very... Very rational person. So, based on this evidence, are you following with me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know about you, but I don't think Jesus was crazy. What do you think? I don't think Jesus was crazy. Now, can I have someone read this for me? Um, Gabriel. When a big bald white guy from New Jersey thinks he oh. Michael Jackson, he's crazy. In fact, Pretty much everybody who believes himself to be Michael Jackson is crazy. Everybody but one. When Michael Jackson claims to be Michael Jackson, that's not crazy, that's the truth. You may think that, look, you may think that other (laughs) things Michael Jackson does are a little crazy, but that's not the point here. And if for some weird reason, Michael Jackson decided to visit your neighborhood, people would know that that's who it really really is. (laughs) For one thing, he'd look like Michael Jackson, not like some big, white, bald guy from New Jersey. He'd be able to moonwalk, and he'd know all the words to the One way or another, there would be enough confirming evidence to convince the neighborhood celebrity watchers that he is who he claimed to be. Yeah. Do you agree? So it's, it's one thing to make claims, but it's another thing to have the claims be true. Okay. So it's only crazy to claim to be Michael Jackson if you are not Michael Jackson. It's only crazy to claim to be God if you are not God. Okay, It's only crazy to claim to be God if you are not God. The question then is whether there is any confirming evidence that Jesus was who he claimed to be. So if Jesus is not crazy, if he is claiming to be God, are there proofs that we see that Jesus is actually God? Melissa, are you with us? Okay. Are there proofs that Jesus is who he claims to be? Nana no, no, read that for me. Read the last bullet for me. It
1: seems uh huh. It uh-huh. seems that some people
0: have their doubts
1: in Jesus. Okay. The Gospel of John says that a lot of them were saying he's a crazy maniac out of his head completely. Or I bought a listen to him, but others weren't so sure. These are the words of a crazy man. Can a maniac open blind
0: eyes? Right. Now, so what do we see here? Some people were claiming, oh, Jesus, this guy is crazy. And then others said, no, he's not crazy. Can a crazy person open the eyes of the blind? So the people are falling back on some form of evidence that this person is God, right? The people in Jesus' day obviously realize that if Jesus is claiming to be God, we can look at some of the things he's doing and convince ourselves that he is God. What were some of the things Jesus was doing? He was opening the eyes of the blind. He was healing the sick. He was walking on water. He was multiplying bread to feed thousands of people. In short, Jesus was doing miracles. Not to even mention that he raised Lazarus, who was dead for four days in the tomb. And raised him back from the dead. Uh, crazy people don't do that. I mean, people that do that, there is something about them. Right? And it's evident from the miracles of Jesus that he was God. Now, some have said, okay, I know Jesus did some miraculous stuff, but I don't think they're miracles. I think he was just a hypnotist. Who has heard that before? Have you heard people say, oh, Jesus was, he was just a hypnotist? Now, do you know what a hypnotist yes, is? Yes, yes. who? who? They,
1: they, they fool with their
0: mind. They fool with your mind, right? Now, let's examine. Let's examine if Jesus is a hypnotist. Will you do it with me? Let's look at it, okay? Jesus, is he a miracle worker or a hypnotist? Hypnosis is usually done on individuals versus large groups. So, they usually would... In a large group, they will look for one susceptible person and use that as their example. They talk in a certain soothing tone of voice to the audience and watch for people who seem to be responding. Then they'll pick these people as volunteers because they are readily susceptible to hypnosis. In a big group, many people are resistant. So if you've seen typical hypnotists, even though they have crowds, they would usually pick ones who are more susceptible and then perform the hypnosis on them as though they are performing miracles, but they are just playing with their minds. Okay? Let's look at Jesus. Many of the miracles that Jesus did were reported or were reported, were witnessed by large groups, like when he fed 5,000 people. I mean, how do you hypnotize 5,000, more than 5,000 people? And how do you make bread and fish multiply enough to feed all of them and have some left. Hypnos- hyp- hyp- hypnotists cannot do that. They can do that with one person who is susceptible to them and make that person believe that they are full when they are not full. But they can't do that on 5,000 people, especially when there are people there who don't even believe in him. Do you know among the people that followed Jesus and were fed, with 5,000, um, were fed in the 5,000 people who were fed, do you know that many of them didn't even believe in him? Yeah. They just followed him because of the food. So they didn't even believe in him. They doubted him and yet they still enjoyed the miracle. Are you with me? But then that was funny. (laughs) Another thing is that they are willing subjects for hypnosis. They don't work on people who are skeptics or doubters. And I just talked to you about that one. Most of the miracles were witnessed by people who were doubters, like doubting Thomas or Saul, who later became Paul. He didn't believe. But when he witnessed the miracle, which happened on him, he later believed. So it's more of, to me, it's, he was a miracle worker. He wasn't like a hypnotist who was playing with people's minds. Let's look at one last example in, the, in, in turning water into wine. One of the things that hypnotists use the power of suggestion. They suggest to your mind what you should think, what you should believe, right? This is, and, and they do that to you as a person. Once you become susceptible, they sort of control your mind. It's a mind-controlling thing. When Jesus turned water into wine, some people say, oh, yeah, he just um, hypnotized all the people in the wedding feast, and they all thought when they were drinking water, they all thought they were drinking wine. Now, analyze it. Remember I tell you, I like to reason through things. I don't just accept things on face value. Think about it. Jesus never talked to the people in the the wedding. He never went to them and talked to them that I'm turning water into wine. Even the people that came to him to um, do something so they will have wine, he said, pour the water into the thing. He never told them, look, this water has turned to wine, so serve it. He never even told them that. He said, Pour water into the thing and then I'll serve it to the people. He didn't even suggest anything to them. It was when the people are poured it out. The people who didn't even see Jesus do all that, they testified and said, Oh, this wine tastes much, much better than the earlier one. Right? That is a miracle. That is not hypnosis. Are you with me? So, will you agree that Jesus is a miracle worker and not a hypnotist? What's your verdict? Miracle worker? Miracle worker? Right? I think there's no doubt that Jesus is a miracle worker. So, was Jesus crazy to claim to be God? Jesus backed up his claims with strong evidence. Strong evidence. Sarah, what were some of the evidence Jesus used to back up his claim to be God? He raised up Lazarus from the dead. Um, Yep. He did many miracles. Now, but Jesus' claims about himself weren't just a generic statement like, I'm God. He claimed to to have a very specific identity. And that was, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. What does that mean? For Jesus to be the Messiah. We'll look at that next week. Okay, look at that next week. For today, what we have looked at, who can tell me? What have we talked about today? Yes, Nathan? There were the what? There were very strict rules the the There were very strict rules in writing the manuscripts. Very strict rules. Yes, Chris? You need certain materials to write them. Yes, what else? What have you learned today? Answer what? When we learn
1: about the like, inaccuracies, and they're not even really that important.
0: They don't change our faith. They don't change our faith. The inaccuracies or textual variations are not even that important. They don't affect anything that we believe in. Jesus Jesus would not die for a lie. Jesus will not die for a lie. Right? Lawrence, I'm coming to you. So start thinking. What have you learned today? Start thinking. You are thinking, or you are ready? I'm thinking. <laughs> Princess, I'm coming to you too. Uh, Josh, what have you learned today? Should I come back?
1: Not like. There aren't a lot of errors in uh, copies
0: of the Bible. There aren't a lot of meaningful errors in the copies of the Bible. Excellent. So we looked at the Bible today. We looked at who is Jesus. We're saying that the way we got our Bible is not like the game of telephone. It's not like it at all. And that only about 1% of text variants in the New Testament copied manuscripts are meaningful. Still, none of those affect our cardinal doctrines or teachings. Okay, then we also seen that the Bible as we have it today is an accurate copy of the original manuscripts. We learned some stuff about Jesus. Number one, that Jesus demonstrated certain features that were characteristic of God. Okay, if you are are you ready with what you learned today? Uh huh. What did you learn? The greek language you can switch it up and it will still mean the same thing exactly good stuff and princess you learned that what? people actually thought that jesus was was a hypnotist okay all right guys let's move on we're trying to recap what we've talked about today jesus Claimed to be what? God. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus was not lying when he claimed to be God. No one in his right mind dies for a lie. Right, Myra? Are you ready to tell us what you learned? That is not on the board. Okay. What did you learn? Uh-huh. Um Should I, should I come back to you? Okay, I'll come back to you. Nana, what did you learn today? That Jesus is a miracle worker, right? Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus' claim to be God must be true if he is to be regarded as a great moral teacher, right? Chris? Oh, sorry,
1: sir, sorry, <laughs>
0: Jesus' claim to be God had to be true if he was to be regarded as a great moral teacher. Can he be a great moral teacher and not be God? Why? Uh, it depends on what you teach. You. Right, so what did he teach? I mean, can Jesus be a great moral teacher and not be God? Can we just look at Jesus and say, Oh, he's not God, he's just a great moral teacher. Could we say that? Yeah. That he's not God? It is it? Are we able to say that?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Hello? Are you with me? Princess, are we able to say that Jesus is just a great moral teacher? He's not God. Yeah? No? Why? Because He is God. Yeah, we know that, but why can't we say this is... I think it's because there are, there are great moral teachers out there. The gurus, the... The Indian Sikh temple gurus and the ones that go around. They are all great moral teachers. But none of them is God. Yes, but they don't claim to be God. No. But Jesus claimed to be God. So can he still be a great moral teacher and not be God? Even though he claims to be God? Oh, then no. Then no. Right. Because he will be a liar and not a great moral teacher. Okay. Because he claims to be God. If he is a great moral teacher... Then his claim to be God must be true. Jesus was in his right mind when he claimed to be God. There is no evidence that Jesus was crazy. Sarah, read the next one for me. Jesus backed
1: his claim to be God by performing many undeniable miracles.
0: Right. He backed it with miracles. Ah... Chanel, read for me. Right, the Messiah. And we will look at the fingerprint evidence next week. Actually, not next week. So, the Easter, remember we're having the Heaven's Gate Hell's Flame. On when? Friday. Friday night, Saturday night. Good Friday morning. There'll be a good Friday morning service. And we will have our service here. Okay? So this coming Friday is Good Friday. We will meet here for service. Okay? The adults will also have their service there. And then on Resurrection Sunday, which is next week, Sunday, we will also have. Our youth service here, the adults will have theirs there. Yeah, we're going to announce that. Okay, so good Friday morning, we're going to look at the fingerprint evidence. Did Jesus actually fit the descriptions of the Messiah? There were defined stuff that of who the Messiah is. If Jesus Christ is claiming to be God, he's claiming to be the Christ, did he really measure up? We'll look at that. And then we'll also look at his crucifixion on Good Friday. You don't, really, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. Call your friend. Call your friend who's not been here for a while. Say, it's Good Friday. Let's go to church. Okay? Invite your friend and bring them along. Um, Those of you who are involved in the Heaven's Gate Hell's Flame will be staying behind after service today for a brief meeting. Okay, brief meeting after service. And then there will be rehearsals on... Quiet! We'll have rehearsals on Wednesday night, Thursday night, and then Friday... After service, after the morning service, there will be Heaven's Gate House flame rehearsals, Okay, Is there any other announcement? All right, now, quiet! Guys, guys, we're not done, please. How many of us are interested in knowing about the end times? The last days, what's really going to happen? So, is this something you guys want us to talk about after this Easter message? Yes. yes. Really? Yes. yes. Okay. So we will look at the apocalypse. this <laughs> No, it just came out. It just came out when you guys said it just came out because you guys said you wanted it. What? It wouldn't come up (laughs) So You don't want to miss service Okay come let's discuss It will be time for us to ask questions Like you know how we do our thing We don't I don't just talk to you guys I allow you to talk So any questions you have Come let's talk Whatever Okay Have you been blessed today? Did you learn something? All right. let's pray Bow down your heads, let's pray. I want you to talk to Jesus. This Jesus, we're praying, guys. This Jesus who died for us, I want you to talk to him and say, Lord Jesus, as we go through this series of Jesus on trial, I really want to know you for who you really are. Just pray that prayer. I really want to know you for who you really are. Reveal yourself to me. I just want to know you for who you really are. Not for what they say you are, but for who you really are. Help me to know you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. Have you spoken to us? Pray that you will not let any of these words Leave our hearts and our minds. And as we go from here, help us to think about it, let it replay over and over again as you continue to speak to us, Holy Spirit, so that we will love you in a way that you deserve for all the great love you have shown to us. I commit all these ones into your hands. Let your covering and protection be upon them. Let them excel in school help them in any area that they are struggling in the name of jesus i pray for their parents provide for them so they can have to give to them let your healing rest upon their households thank you lord in jesus name we pray amen Amen. (laughs) amen all right shall we share the grace what? Let's share the
1: grace. Let's
0: be on our feet as we share the grace. Now, you guys don't want to go home? All right, let's share the grace. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of our Lord forever. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. This Heaven's Gate Hell's Flame, every one of us is encouraged to invite a friend for Friday night, Saturday night. If you haven't yet invited your friend, please try and do that this week, okay? God bless you all.
1: Yes.